this morning. Uh, I'm so grateful to get to be with you all and, uh, and teach this morning. To start off, I, I want to invite you to take a moment to reflect on a time that you were in the natural world and you experienced wonder. Uh, when did you experience something that brought you awe? Uh, we're uh, at Baymarin, we're following the lectionary text through Lent this year, and I'd encourage you to consider reading these texts leading up to each Sunday. You can find them on Baymarin's website. If you uh, scroll over to the resources tab and you'll see lectionary as one of the choices, just click on that and you'll see the text for each Sunday. And as we follow the lectionary text through Lent, uh, the one for today that I wanna take some time with is Psalm 19, which Christy just read for us. Uh, this is one of my favorite Psalms and I'm in good company here because uh, C.S. Lewis said this about Psalm 19. He said, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Now, of course, uh, C.S. Lewis said this about 65 years ago, so he had never heard the song Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. Oh my goodness, uh, anyone else have this playing in their house by uh, their kids? Um, there was an awesome Saturday Night Live skit on that song, by the way. So uh, anyhow, oh, hold up. Now, and a bunch of you are starting to look up that Saturday Night Live skit, and the rest of you who haven't even heard of the song are looking that up. So come on, you can do that after the service. Uh, man, the things you can get away with during a Zoom service, right? I wanna take a moment and start with the final verse of Psalm 19 uh, as a prayer as we jump into the text today. Psalmist says in verse 14, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Uh, what if we prayed that verse every morning when we got up? Uh, psalm 19 is this unique psalm where the first half of the psalm focuses on God's revelation through the natural world, and the second half focuses on God's revelation through the story of Scripture. Uh, scholars refer to this as the two books, the book of nature and the book of Scripture, both in which God reveals who God is to us. Uh, I want to focus on these first six verses and then... I'm gonna move to Exodus 3, and my boy Knox here is going to read Exodus 3 for us uh, as we go through that. Um, as Christy read these words, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Uh, so much beautiful imagery here about the natural world declaring God's glory. Uh, you know, the sun is a medium-sized star, yet 1.3 million Earths could fit inside the sun. Take that in. 1.3 million Earths could fit inside the sun. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, contains 200 billion stars. 
The Milky Way is about 100,000 light years in diameter. It's one of 100 billion galaxies in the universe. Uh, how much is a billion even? Uh, you know, one of Bamerin's partners, Plant With Purpose, they've been planting trees for years, uh, helping the rural poor and caring for the planet. Think about it, if you planted a thousand trees a day since Jesus was born over 2,000 years ago, you would still need to plant a thousand trees a day for the next 750 years to reach a billion. Again, there are 200 billion stars just in our galaxy alone and 100 billion more galaxies out there. And scientists tell us that the universe continues to expand. Our planet is a pale blue dot in the universe, a speck. And yet the creator God of the universe is present to us in the vastness of space and in your own backyard. Uh, we got our kids a trampoline for Christmas, and a number of nights ago, I went out with the kids at night, and we laid on the trampoline and just stared up at the stars. Now, it lasted all 10 minutes before they wanted to jump and play a game they call Dead Man uh, on the trampoline and in the dark, which was a lot of fun, and we played for a while, and then they were ready to go back in, and as they headed in, my seven-year-old daughter said to me, I'll stay out here with you, Daddy, and look at the stars. So we did. We cuddled up and stared up at the stars and took in the magic and the mystery of it all. I'm sure many of you have experienced something similar, especially if you've been to one of Bamerin's family camps and went up on the hill with Tim Robinson to look through his telescopes. Or have you ever seen the moon rise out of the horizon, all big and bright and orange? Uh, I recall seeing this on the East Coast one time, the moon coming up out of the ocean like a glowing ember. It just took my breath away. Science and religion, they co-mingle in a holistic worldview that reminds us that we are a part of something beautiful, majestic, and mysteriously integrated and held together by the source who is also beautiful, majestic, and divine mystery. This divine mystery chooses to be revealed in and through the stars, the planets, moons, galaxies, and in and through trees and birds and mountains, oceans and streams, in and through you and me. If we just wake up and turn aside from our agenda, and pay attention. Uh, what if we spent more time stargazing and seeing God's revelation through the night sky? National Geographic published an article a few years ago called Our Vanishing Night about the increase of light pollution, how it's affecting wildlife and how it's affecting humans. <clears throat> what are we so afraid of that keeps the lights on and drowns out the night sky? Store lights, parking lot lights, security lights, motion lights, night lights, lights from our screens and devices. Ancient cultures would gather around a light at night, the light of a fire, and they would watch the fire and keep company with each other. We replaced that with gathering around a television light at night. And now uh, that has been replaced by many with not gathering at all but isolating ourselves with our own individual screen. Lent offers us an opportunity to fast from things that can distract us from God. 
What if we spent less time on a screen and more time outside? And what if sometimes we went outside without walking, running, biking, or without a device or a book or anything other than just ourselves and the natural world? Perhaps we would sense the presence and voice of God. This is what happened long ago in an ancient story, long before electronic devices, long before the printing press, long before the Bible was written. God showed up in a bush to a man who was running, who was wanted by a nation state for murder, who was hiding out in the wilderness, making a living off watching his father-in-law's sheep. That story is found in Exodus 3. And as Gary mentioned, I'm facilitating a group right now that I'm calling the heart and soul of transformation. And as a part of that journey together, we're going through a couple of books. And interestingly, Exodus 3 came up in both of them recently. So I thought maybe God is inviting us to pay attention to this ancient story with new eyes. In light of Psalm 19 and God's revelation, I want to look at Exodus 3 and how God showed up to Moses in and through the natural world. And Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. All right. Jethro was a priest, but Moses was not. And I think we often forget this when we think about Moses. We think of Moses as this great leader of Israel. But before he led Israel out of slavery, he was a runaway, a murderer a person in exile. He was a shepherd, which was a humiliating job for an adult in those days. It would, it would uh, not be the last time that God would show up to shepherds in a wilderness with an announcement of hope and peace, would it? Moses is in many ways in crisis, and we don't like crisis. Yet somehow it is in times of crisis that we are shaped and formed more deeply and often we will find that crisis leads to calling. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why will the bush not burn up? All right. So God was in the bush. Uh, two things were required of Moses here. First, he had to take notice. He had to be aware that the bush was burning and not consumed. Second, he had to go out of his way to look at it. He had to have a level of awareness and a level of curiosity to notice it and be willing to go out of his way. It was not necessarily uncommon for a bush to be on fire in the hot desert sun, but this bush was not consumed. I wonder what if Moses didn't take notice? What if he didn't go out of his way? In a similar way to crisis leading to call, curiosity can also lead to calling. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. All right. It, it's only when God sees that Moses takes notice that God calls to him. It is only as Moses allows himself to be drawn to the bush that communication takes place. 
There would have been no hearing the voice of God if Moses wasn't paying attention, if Moses wasn't aware, if Moses wasn't curious. Verse 5. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Okay. God shows up to Moses in a bush. Moses had to take notice of it. What if God wants to speak to us? If only we would take notice. What if every bush is burning? What if the ground on which we walk every day is holy ground and we're unaware of it? The psalmist tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning said, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God that only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round it and pluck the blackberries and daub their natural faces, unaware. Browning says there are people who are unaware and there are people who are aware. Every common bush a fire with God. Do we see it? Paul says in Romans 1, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now that's a bold claim that God's qualities, power, and divine nature can be clearly seen in and through creation. What if every bush is burning a fire? with God. What if God wants to speak to us something as common as a bush, if only we would slow down long enough to take notice? Uh, when's the last time you went out of your way to just look at a flower or a tree or a bird? When's the last time you slowed down and just sat and took in the beauty of God's creation? Uh, I wonder where are places close to where you live that you can go to take in beauty or simply in your backyard or looking up at the night, the night sky to find the moon and take in the stars or notice that weed attempting to grow in the crack of the concrete. What if Moses hadn't taken notice? Then he said, I am, I am the God of your father. God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses had hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Okay. The text says that God sees, hears, and is concerned. For God to know their suffering testifies to God's intimate experience of their suffering. God is intimately involved in the suffering of the people. God has not chosen to remain safe and secure in some heavenly abode, untouched by the sorrow of the world. Uh, Isaiah said of the Messiah to come, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. This is the creator God of the universe, one who is familiar with pain, suffering, rejection, oppression, and heartache. God hears the cry of oppressed people groups, the groaning of creation, the ache of each heart. Uh, whatever you may be going through this morning, God is a God whose self-revelation is discovered in something as ordinary as a bush and says, 
I see, I hear, I am concerned. So I have come down to rescue them from the, from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land and a flowing land with milk and honey. While God suffers with the people, God is not powerless in the face of it. God moves to deliver by working in and through people. God brings them out of slavery and into freedom. And freedom is not just from something, it is also to something. God's redemptive acts lead to new creation. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you out to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God's self-revelation is for Moses' sake, but not his sake alone. It's for the sake of an oppressed people. Moses' crisis and curiosity lead to a call on Moses' life spoken to him by God through a bush. God speaks through this common bush and calls Moses to go bring the people out of slavery. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign that to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, I suppose, suppose I go to the Israelites and said to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Okay, so Moses here feels personally inadequate and unworthy. Moses's here I am has become, who am I to go do this? Moses doesn't know who he is. He has no self-confidence that he can do what God has called him to do. But God has a different perspective and says, I will be with you. And then Moses says, who am, who am I? Uh, becomes God saying, who are you? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Okay. Has sent me to you. Uh, this verse is one of the most studied texts in the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, this is where God gives the personal name. Uh, it, it is translated, I am who I am, or I will be what I will be. It expresses the quality of absolute being, the eternal dynamic presence of God. God says, I am. Uh, one of the things that is most, <clears throat> most discussed about this passage is how to pronounce this divine name in Hebrew. After many years, the Hebrew people stopped saying the name because they were afraid if they mispronounced it, they would be breaking the commandment to not take God's name in vain. So they substituted the name Adonai, which means God, for the divine name that God gives here, I am who I am. Now the Hebrew language has no vowels, only consonants. Uh, in the English translation, it is most often translated Lord. Some English translations do Lord in all caps uh, when it is the divine name that God reveals to Moses here. The problem with translating it Lord in English is that it becomes a title rather than a personal name. 
Most biblical scholars agree that the most likely sound of the name is pronounced Yahweh. Now, what is interesting about the name that God reveals is that many rabbis and scholars believe that the name of God, Yahweh, is the sound of breathing. There is this belief that every time we breathe, we are uttering the holy name of God, Yahweh. How many times do you breathe a day? Consider that breath you just took. What if every human without even knowing it is uttering the name of God every time we breathe? Who actually thinks about their breathing? Uh, why is it that yoga instructors find it so important to tell us to focus on our breath? What if they, without even knowing it, are telling us to focus on God? Uh, there is a growing awareness around the importance of our breath. In religious circles and psychological circles, there is a return to focusing on our breath. A few Wednesdays ago was Ash Wednesday. We are a people who come from the dust. We are created from the dirt. But what sets us apart from the dirt is that God breathed the breath of life into us. Spirit, the word spirit, is the same word for breath and wind in both Hebrew and Greek languages. God breathed the spirit of life into us. We are dust, but we are divine dust. We are made of the natural world and we are made of God. We have the DNA of the earth and divine DNA. The spirit of God, the breath of God, the name of God lives in us and moves through us. What if every bush is burning and God wants to speak to us if we would just take notice? What if every breath we take, God's name is being uttered? God's spirit is moving through us if we would just pay attention. Genesis 1 tells us that God gave us the breath of life. We have the spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God, the name of God flowing through us at all times. What if our first breath on the day we are born and our last breath on the day we die, we are uttering God's name? When someone feels overwhelmed or anxious, we often say, just breathe or take a deep breath. What if we are saying, just allow God's spirit to move through you? Just say God's name, Yahweh. What if in all the stress and anxiety we carry in our lives, what we need is as close as our breathing? Acts 17 says, God gives everyone life and breath and everything else. You can be the most ardent atheist in the world and every time you breathe, you say Yahweh. You say the name of God. God's spirit is moving in and moving out. When we wake, when we sleep, Yahweh. Over and over again, the name of God, the sound of our breathing, the very spirit of life, the very breath of life moving in and through us. It's sheer gift. And most of the time, we simply are aware. 
when we read through the Gospels, most of the time, Jesus is outside. He uses the natural world to teach. He uses the natural world in his parables. And he even uses the natural world to heal at times. In one of Jesus' teaching, he uses the natural world to tell us not to worry. In Matthew 6, Jesus tells us to look at the birds and flowers. Now, the Greek words that are used to uh, look at or consider the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, uh, it means to be engaged in, to stare with a locked-in gaze, to concentrate with love or concern. So, how's your meditation on creation going? Uh, all creation is our teacher. Creation heals us. Uh, we must work towards sustainability to protect creation, not least of all because it will heal us. Because God's invisible qualities, eternal power and divine nature can be clearly seen in and through creation. Jesus's words here have moment by moment relevance. Worry has no boundaries. Our diets, if a cure will be found, if our kids will be okay, where they will go to school, if our job will last, if we'll have enough money to get by, if people will like us. Worry lives in the homes of the poor and the wealthy, the young and the old. It is not bound by culture, ethnicity, gender, marital status, past, present, or future. But love has no bounds either. And love and trust are always stronger than fear and anxiety. Even our prayers can be filled with anxiety. Perhaps we need more silent contemplative prayer to go along with our petitions. The invitation is to love and trust and be present to God as God is present to us. Uh, the message translation in Matthew 6, when Jesus is speaking about do not worry, uh, says this, Jesus says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Uh, allow these words to soak in. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still. Be. What if every common bush is a fire with God? What if every breath we take, we are uttering the holy name of God? God has a whole lot to say to us through the natural world, including every breath we take. Moses needed to face the pain of his past. He needed to face what he was going to. He needed to face what he was coming from and what he was running from. He needed to experience God's presence to him in something as common as a bush. I wonder today if what you are carrying feels like too much, if it feels overwhelming and it manifests itself in your life through anger or bitterness or fear or just shutting yourself off to the world. And I wonder if what we need is as close as our breath. I wonder if what we need is to see the divine in the daily, to see the sacred in the secular, to see God in something as common as a bush and something 
uh, as frequent and regular as our breathing. The God who is revealed in a bush, the God who gives us a personal name that sounds like breathing is the same God who says, I see, I hear, I am concerned. Today, what is God inviting you to release? What is God inviting you to pay attention to? Where is God inviting you to curiosity, which leads to calling? Today, do you just need to take a deep breath and allow God to move through you and affirm that you are going to make it? You're going to be okay. God is a God who is intimate with our pain, our hardships, our suffering. And this same God who is revealed in a common bush came and lived among us in Jesus. We can find God in something as simple and small as a flower or blade of grass and something as vast as outer space. In fact, I wonder if taking in something as vast as outer space or majestic as a mountain range may prepare us to encounter the vastness and majestic wonder of our inner space. God's self-revelation through the natural world got, turns to God's revelation within us. And this is where Psalm 19 moves, that when we allow God to work on our interior through the natural world and through the scriptures, the teachings of God, it revives the soul. It makes the simple wise. It causes hearts to rejoice. It enlightens the eyes. When we partake of these common elements, the bread and the wine, these very natural earthly elements to help us recognize that the common is indeed sacred, that we are all standing on holy ground. We come to partake of the bread and the cup, remembering that Jesus entered into human history and took our pain, our suffering, our sin, our brokenness upon himself and uttered his last breath, Yahweh, on the cross so that we might experience the life-giving breath of God. I want to invite you, if you have it available, to get some bread and juice, and in a moment, we will partake together. Consider these questions. What if every common bush is a fire with God? What if every breath we take, we say God's name? What if right now, today, God has a word for us in something as common as the bread and cup, this Eucharist, this good gift that Jesus left us to remember the beauty and the suffering of the cross? What if we began the practice of seeing God in the ordinary things of life? What if we began to take more notice, pay more attention? What if we were willing to turn aside from the busyness of our day to see God, to hear God. It just might change our lives. So if you have a bread and a cup, uh, I wanna invite you to join me in partaking of these common, earthy, sacred elements. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.